like you to open your Bibles this morning. We are in the New Testament book of John, and we're continuing a year-long moment-by-moment look at the life of Jesus. And we've stepped into a five-sermon series. This is still chronological, but we're looking at this main event. It's called the Revelation of Christ. Last week we were there as Jesus and his disciples and his mother, they were invited to a wedding. And at this week-long wedding celebration, the, the wedding party had run out of wine. And Jesus performed his first miracle at the wedding by turning water into wine. And it amazed his disciples. And there were other people who saw this that were just simply amazed and started to believe And if anyone had any doubts and knew that Jesus had done this, they were believers at the moment because they had never seen anything like this from man. At the end of that wedding narrative, the Apostle John gives us a transition. And it's this detail as we're going to travel with Jesus again and it's going to lead us from the wedding into where we're going to study today. Turn with me if you will, we're in John chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 25 this morning in a message that I have titled, The Problem with Worship Without Reverence. We're going to start in John chapter 2, we're in verse number 12. The apostle writes this, After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there for very many days. So after the wedding, Jesus went to the lake town of Capernaum. It's about 17 miles away. It's down the hill from Cana where they are at at the wedding. And John writes this to to simply tell us what is happening in the chain of events. And John says that Jesus, his disciples, his mother, and his brothers, they go to Capernaum, and they're only there for a few days. They're not going to stay very long, and then they get back on the road, and we're going to head back on the road In John chapter 2, we're in verse number 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So we're going to stop right here for a second. Kind of set the scene. The Passover is an annual festival. And it took place in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus had been in Capernaum, and he would have had to travel about 85 to 100 miles by foot to get from Capernaum to Jerusalem. And we know that when Jesus was 12 years old, he went to Passover. We see that in the Bible. And and Jesus was regularly at the Passover. It was something that you did. If you were Jewish in the area, you went to the Passover celebration. In fact, he had been there many, many times. Probably every year of his entire life, he had been to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so making this trip was something that was regular. As a matter of fact, it was mandatory for any Jewish person that lived within 20 20 miles of Jerusalem and who was over 19 years old, you have to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Every year, everyone that lived within that 20-mile radius, it's mandatory. If you're outside, it's optional, but it's very much recommended. I want you to imagine, if you will, I want you to imagine the county fair. How many of you have ever been to Los Angeles County Fair? LA County Fair, maybe Orange County Fair, maybe the Southern California Fair here in Paris? Have you ever been to one of those fairs? Okay. So you're familiar with the fair, And you know when you're at the fair, there are people everywhere, right? 
There's people standing in line for tickets. There's people standing in line for corn dog. There's people standing in line to see the world's largest alligator. There's people who are from all different parts of the state and all different parts of, of the world that come to some of, the, some of the largest fairs in the state. And then there are vendors, right? There's vendors selling food. There's vendors who are selling concessions, souvenirs. And of course, you can't bring in your own food to the fair, right? Because... That burger and fries that you can get outside the fairgrounds at Wendy's for like eight bucks. Once you get inside the fairgrounds, now 24 bucks, 30 bucks, right? So now it's like really expensive. They can gouge you any way that they want because you're stuck, right? That's about the same atmosphere that is going on inside the temple when Jesus gets to Passover. Not quite the atmosphere that we would expect to see at church, right? There's two kinds of selling that's going on at the Passover and in the temple. If you had come to Passover, it's required that you were going to bring a sacrifice to the Passover. And when you were in town, there's animals, there, there, there might be a, a sheep or ox or dove that you're going to need for your sacrifice. And these animals that you're sacrificing, they, can, they have to be without blemish. They have to be perfect animals. You can't go out in your backyard and get that three-legged goat that you haven't been able to sell to the guy down the street and bring it for the sacrifice. No, for God, it has to be the best, right? We have to bring the best to God. So if you were walking, though, from maybe a neighboring town... And let's say you thought, you know what, I'm going to save some money and I'm going to buy an amazing goat on my way into town. You could do it, but chances are it's not going to fly. Because see, here's what's going to happen. Let's say you raise goats or you buy one and you bring it with you. There are inspectors in the temple. They, they are people who are there in Jerusalem. They are the ones who are going to tell you whether your animal is going to pass or not, whether it's going to be good enough for the sacrifice or not. And chances are, it's not. It's not. Because you know why? They want you to buy one from them, right? They want to sell you one when you get there. So the inspectors work for the temple, and if you came from out of town and you brought your own, you'd realize, I'm just wasting my money because they're just going to turn it down. The inspectors would have this windfall of money that would be coming in because there's these, there's these kind of a collusion of sorts with the sellers. It's, it's just all set up. It's set up against you, right? And don't think that you're going to get a nonprofit discount because you're buying something from the church because you're not. The vendors at the temple are going to skyrocket their prices simply because they can. And all of this is being done in the name of the God of Israel. The church was actually taking advantage of people. They were making huge profits and, and massive amounts of money on people who must come to the temple to worship. Some people, this isn't optional. You have to be here, and you have to buy an animal from us, and we're going to skyrocket the prices. It's, it's unfair in the name of God. On top of this, if you were 19 years old or older and and you came to the temple for Passover, you have to pay what's called a temple tax. 
This is, this is, it, it's biblical when you come to Passover. Now, the price of the temple tax, it's half a shekel. That means nothing to us, I know. But what would happen is if you had come from outside of the area, let's say you came from Rome, you came from Greece, you came from Egypt. Well, you don't use the same kind of money that they use in Jerusalem. So there would be money changers who would be there to change your foreign currency into a currency that can be used at the temple. Because some of these coins where you live have Caesar's face on it, right? And Caesar is somebody who is looked at as a god. And so this is unclean money. You can't bring that other money into the temple and pay your tax with it. So there would be money changers there who would exchange your currency for the currency that you could pay the temple tax with. There was, it was common for the money changers to be able to, to take some profit, but these guys are taking a lot of profit. There was, it's almost like a scam. It's that same guy who is selling you a bottle of water at the fair now for $14, right? It just doesn't seem fair, right? And again, this is being done in the name of God. It would be as, as if, let's say, I'm just going to throw some numbers out we can understand. Let's say your temple tax is $100, okay? And you show up with $100 in your currency and you need to have it exchanged. And so they're going to exchange it. You would think, you know, maybe a fair price, maybe five bucks to exchange it. So you're going to pay $105, you're going to get your $100 back, go pay your tax. So the money changers were charging you about, it would have cost you $150. You would have been out 50 bucks to change out that $100. It was just an amazing amount of money that they were making simply to change your money into something that you could give to God. All in the name of the God of Israel. So here we are in a packed town with all these people at an event that feels more like a fair than in a religious event. And a place that we're supposed to be giving reverence to God, a place that finds people inside the temple overcharging and ripping people off on purpose who are simply coming to follow the, the, the rituals of the Passover. See, Jesus has seen this before. He's been here before. But this time, it's different. See, Jesus has now started his ministry. And this moment of public worship without reverence has become too much for the Son of God to tolerate. He has seen this, and, and it's just, ugh. This is it. This is the last straw. Come back with me. We're in verse number 15, John 2, verse number 15. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, and he turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. See, the animals that were there to be sold, they would have been there being transported in crates. And so... These crates may have been held down with some ropes, and I can see Jesus just looking around. And he's had enough. He just kind of reaches down on the ground and picks up some of these ropes from the crates and just starts braiding them. And that's it. He sees what people are doing in the name of the Father at the church, and he's had enough. 
See, these were rituals that people were going through, but there was no reverence in this gathering. There was, there was no worship in this gathering. Jesus was intent to make a point that Passover is a ceremony that is to bring remembrance to God. And, and, he, and it's for the people of Israel to remember what God had done. But no one was worshiping. People were selling, people were buying. There's a problem with the attitude of the people. The the people who are even leading in the house of the Lord, there's a problem here. Because there's people who are taking advantage of other people all in the name of God. According to Webster, the definition of the word reverence is, is deep respect for someone or something. To hold something in high esteem, to respect, to worship, to be in awe, to to bring adoration, to bring praise and honor. And that wasn't happening. I want you to write this down. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us, you'll see on the left-hand side of your bulletin, there's fill in the blanks. And you can fill in those blanks and the answers are up here on the board. Point number one in your notes, the respect for the Father should always be part of our worship. Respect for the Father should always be part of our worship. Jesus was angry. Would it be fair to say that we don't think of Jesus as angry very often? If we were to ask, give me some characteristics of Jesus, we're going to hear love, we're going to hear forgiveness, we're going to hear tenderness, we're going to hear compassion, right? Because a lot of times anger is going to come at the end of the list. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we're seeing anger. He is angry at what is going on in the most precious house, the most precious building in the entire world, in his eyes. This is where God lives, and look what people are doing. He's enraged at this area of the temple. There's this area, it's called the Court of the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, the only, the, as far as you can go in was the Court of the Gentiles. So the temple is kind of built in layers, okay? The outer layer is the Court of the Gentiles. That's as far as you could go. You have to be Jewish to go any further, okay? So out here in the Court of the Gentiles is where all of these vendors are set up. And Jesus is is looking around and he's noticing, hey, there's people who are trying to worship, but you've turned this place into a circus. You've turned it into a fair. Think about that fair. Think about that fair that we were just at, the OC fair, the LA fair, and you're going to have over here, here's this carnival section, and, and you might have one guy yelling that he's going to give you, you know, maybe three rams for the price of two. He's trying to sell them, right? Or, or maybe you've got another guy, he's like, step right up and see our unblemished ox. The best animals for sacrifice, right over here, come here, come on. You know, right? They, they get you there, come on, come on over here, try. And then there's the guy collecting money for the temple tax. Maybe he's a carnival marker. He's like, he's like, money exchange. Exchange your money here. I won't rip you off as much as he will. I'm going to rip you off. Not as much as he will. You know, this is what's going to happen at the temple. There's supposed to be worship. 
People are trying to worship and bring their sacrifice with offerings, but there's no reverence. There's no respect for God going on at the temple at this time. These people are simply doing what they're doing because it's what's been done. And there's a ton of money changing hands. And and they've taken this holy holiday and they've made it materialistic. Do we have any holy holidays that have been made materialistic? Every week. Every week, Monday through Saturday, in this very room, there's community events that are held for different, for different reasons. It's a beautiful senior center here in Paris, and it works great for, for a church, but there's people who will come here to socialize through the week. They come here to hold classes. There's people who are in lessons. There's people who come here for tutoring, help on their taxes. But on Sunday morning, this room turns into the house of the Lord. Amen? This house is God's house. There are actions here that happen Monday through Saturday that we can't control. We have no control over. But on Sunday morning, this becomes a house of worship. There's a respect for our Lord that comes with our presence in this room on Sundays. See, not all worship takes place in a physical church. This is a senior center. You wouldn't say this is a church building, but the church has moved into this building, amen? Amen. But worship does require reverence and respect for our Lord. Our focus must be on God when we come into his house, or else it's just like walking into anyone else's house, right? God's house is special, right? God's house is special. It was, it was special to Jesus. It was so special that it was even prophesied that the Messiah would, would have such a deep conviction for the reverence of the house of, of the Father that the injustice to the Father's house would just burn inside him. I want you to read back with me. We're in John chapter 2, verse 17. John writes this, Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the Scriptures, Passion for God's house will consume me. See, there was a sanctity of the temple that was being violated, and it was driving Jesus mad. This is his father's house. Imagine your father's house. Imagine the house that you grew up in. Isn't there something special about the home that you grew up in? Isn't there something special about your father's house? Now multiply that by God. How sanctified, how how special is his house? To Jesus, this was a place for the divine. It was a place for the heavenly. Point number two in your notes this morning. Write this one down also. Every place that the Lord lives should be considered holy. Every place that the Lord lives should be considered holy. In the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord was in a cloud between the wings of two angels that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And the Ark of the Covenant would be placed inside the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a tent. It, it was engineered by God, and this was a traveling church of sorts. It, it would move with the people in the desert. And inside the center of the tabernacle, this room called the Holy of Holies is where the Ark would be and where the presence of God would be. And it was so holy, you and I couldn't just walk in there. Because that's where God lives. That is his house. Because that's where the presence of God was. And then once we move into later times, when we have an actual temple, it's a building in the center. It's the center of the Jewish faith, but again, in the center, there is just this, this area that is precious. Jesus has such passion for the home of the Lord. John says that the disciples remembered something that was written by King David more than, more than a thousand years earlier in the book of Psalms. Psalm 69, it reads this. In verses 8 through 9, it says, I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. Speaking of the Messiah, verse number 9. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. It was understood now by the disciples as to why Jesus was so mad at the fact that, that God was being used, his home was being used as a marketplace because Jesus, as the Messiah, had a deep zeal for the temple, a deep enthusiasm, a deep passion, a deep eagerness to tell others about God. But look what was happening at the church. If the place that God lives is to be holy, and if worldly events are taking place at this place of holiness, then what kind of message does that show to others? What kind of message was shown to the people who were coming to the temple for the very first time? When they, see, when they show up at the temple and it's like a county fair. What message does that show? When I was younger, when I was in youth group, our youth leader and I, we went to our uh, pastor because we had, we had wanted to put a soda machine in the youth area so that a couple of reasons. One, so we could drink a lot of caffeine and bounce off the walls during youth group. Uh, and, but the other was so that we could raise some money for our adventures, for our, our, our trips that we were going to take. And we can raise some money to go to Magic Mountain and different things like this. And, and we had everything lined up. There was a guy who had a vending machine who was ready to bring it. We went to the pastor just to get permission. And he said, absolutely not. Quoting this scripture here and, 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 and quoting this particular story. I didn't argue with him and I thought... Now I can look back and think, you know what, maybe a little legalistic, maybe sticking a little bit too much to the rules. But you know what his reasoning was? He wanted to make sure that the house of the Lord was kept holy. That was his reasoning. Now I'm going to set for the record straight that if you've attended other churches that might have a bookstore where you can buy Bibles and maybe a coffee shop where, where you can get coffee, I, I'm not going to, I won't argue those at all. I think it's, I think it's a, a good idea for a church to be able to provide things for the congregation. But let's say that you went to a church that said, on Sunday mornings you can only read from this particular Bible. And you can't bring one from the outside, you have to buy it from us. And by the way, they're 200 bucks a piece. It's 
like the same, I know you can get it at Walmart, but for like, you know, eight bucks, but we're not going to let that in. You have to buy it from us, it's 200 bucks. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, why, why are we hurting people in the name of the Lord? Jesus wasn't mad that the Jewish leaders were making animals available for sacrifice. That's probably a very good idea to have them able to be sold there for people to buy them. Because not everyone is a dove farmer, right? Not everyone has their own ox that meets the qualifications. To have something available there, good idea. To rip people off in the process, bad idea. Jesus was so fuming mad at this. We do our best here to make sure that what we do as a church falls within the boundaries of of holiness. And we know that we walk in here on Sunday mornings as, as simple humans. And we know that we should be stepping aside from the vices that that get us during the week and we struggle with these things monday through saturday i know but it would be fair to say we don't bring those in here on sunday not in god's house right we struggle with them in our heart and we're going home to 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 pray for repair in these areas but this is god's house In the particular moment that Jesus drove out the money changers and all the people who were selling the animals, the Jewish leaders, now they've got a problem. There's a guy who is disrupting their business and they need to go have a chat with him. Read back with me. We're in verse number 18. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Here's your sign. Watch this. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. I want you to see what Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders at the time. He just told the leaders that the church, the church, now that God lives in is not limited to the temple. It's not limited to this pile of bricks that has taken 46 years to build. And even at this moment, it's not finished. That their precious building of stone isn't all that they think it is. God now has a new home. I want you to write this down with me. Point number three in your notes. God no longer lives in a building, but rather he lives in us. God doesn't live in a building. Because of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of our Father lives in us. See, Jesus was specifically talking about his own body being the temple. He was telling the Jewish leaders that God no longer lives in this man-made structure of rocks and wood. As much as I want to go into the topic right now of our bodies being a temple of God, I'm going to save that for another message because I want to spend more time on that. But it's absolutely true. If the Lord lives in us, then we are walking temples of God. Amen? I'm just going to leave this question out. What are we doing to God's temples? 
because we are walking temples of God. If the vendors at the temple were tainting the image of God to the visitors of the Passover, how might we be tainting the image of Christ to people who know us as Christians by what we are doing with our bodies? I know it's deep, huh? I want you to think about it this week. Everything we do as Christians shows Jesus to other people. What view of Jesus are we showing to others? See, the disciples of Jesus, they didn't realize right away what Jesus was saying. The applications of the word of Jesus here comes in verse number 22. Verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. See, even the disciples at the moment when they hear Jesus say, I'm going to raise this temple up in three days. Remember, the disciples haven't been with him a long time. They don't know everything that he knows. But they sure did remember. They remembered later exactly what he was talking about. It's then that they realize that Christ lives in us, that this temple that took 46 years to build, it's just, just material things. The temple that Jesus Christ is, is so much more than a special building. We should all be thankful that Christ lives us in us, and, and we don't need a temple to come and worship. We can worship alone with Jesus wherever we are, or we can worship with others whenever we are, we are in the, the right zone of reference and respect for our worship, right? It's kind of hard to worship at that very, very busy county fair, right? Not to say that it can't happen. We would love to go to the fair and break the entire fair out in hymns and in song, praising our Lord and Savior, right? But we're standing, when we're standing there in the carnival section, it's a little bit more difficult to worship right there, right? We don't have to be at the church to worship our Lord and Savior. Come back with me to John chapter 2. We're going to finish up in verses 23 through 25. John 2, 23, it reads, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem in the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Watch this, point number four in your notes this morning, your final point. Jesus is looking for genuine devotion, not superficial astonishment. Jesus is looking for genuine devotion, not superficial astonishment. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus performed miracles at the festival of Passover. It would have been the first time that, that many people would have actually seen these types of miracles from a, a man. They would have never seen things like this before. John doesn't record all of the miracles that are done at Passover, but it's evident, and John tells us that he performed many wonders 
What Jesus did by casting out the money changers and the sellers of animals was not to put on a show to amaze the people, but as we've learned in this series, the miracles of Christ are to reveal Christ to us. That's what they're for. They're not for amazement. See, Jesus doesn't need the glory of man for recognition. He doesn't need the accolades of the people. He doesn't need applause from the crowd. He doesn't need people cheering for him as he passes. He doesn't need to sit back and sign autographs. He doesn't need his photo on the wall. He doesn't need praise from people because Jesus receives his glory from God the Father. He doesn't care about his name being tattooed on our arm for, for everyone in the world to see. All he wants is a home that's built in our hearts so that he can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with us. He doesn't want false, fake, and counterfeit promotion. He wants true, genuine, and legitimate devotion. He wants our worship with our reference. He wants our respect with our love. See, Jesus knew the hearts of people there at Passover. We see this repeatedly throughout the Bible, that he knows people's thoughts. He knows what they were thinking. He knows what you're thinking. Next week, we're going to see that he knows what Nicodemus is thinking. He knows what's going on in your head. And people became believers in Jesus at that moment when they saw these miraculous signs. But Jesus knew that they were just believing in the miracles and that they weren't going to be followers for life. What happens when you see somebody do something amazing? You see somebody do an, an illusion or a card trick. What do you say after that? You say, ooh, do it again, do it again, right? Maybe you say something like, oh, how did you do that? Or, oh, wow, I don't believe what I just saw. Jesus knew that, that what these people had seen only satisfied their appetite for trivial momentary belief. It was a great story that people would take home from Passover and tell their friends and family, but it wasn't going to last. And tell them, wow, you know what? I went to Passover? Wow, this was so much better than it was last year. We went to Passover, and there was this guy there named Jesus, and he was doing these amazing miracles. We were like, yeah, right. <laughs> Many of these people would claim to believe Jesus for the fun factor of Jesus, but they wouldn't last once truth turned into the deep need of personal devotion to Christ. There's a difference, right? Remember that youth group? We were, we were raising money to take friends to Magic Mountain. It's, it's, easy to, it's easy to like Jesus when you're on a roller coaster, right? when it's fun and games. But that devotion, that personal devotion, that's that next step, right? But wouldn't it be fair to say that the joy of having a deep relationship with Jesus is much greater than a few hours at Magic Mountain? That it's much deeper than the fun factor that comes with Jesus? That it's much deeper than a carnival at the temple? And you say, well, pastor, what's the application of all this? What does this mean? This application is found in the form of a question. 
when we're not at church, when we're not around our church family, when we're all alone and we're by ourselves, who is Jesus to us? Is He our Lord and Savior who we're getting to know better every day by spending time in His Word? Are we spending time talking to Jesus? Is Jesus more than just church fun? Is Jesus more than potlucks and get-togethers and festivals at the temple? Is Jesus more than a festival that we attend every Sunday morning at church simply because that's what we do? Is Jesus who is in this room this morning the same Jesus who's going to be with us tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning? And as a temple of God, is our heart the holy home of our Lord? This is where Jesus lives. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is where This is where Christ lives. Christ lives in us. If Jesus lives here, we need holy hearts. Amen? I think it would be fair to say, and the Bible knows and Christ knows, that we don't come with pure holy hearts. But when He moves in, it's our job to start working to move sin out. Amen? We need to create a holy place for God to live inside us.